to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. I know we've all thought this way at one time or another. We think we can change our circumstances by things that we accomplish. Well, this isn't always the case. Join us now as we continue our journey through the lineage of Jesus with Cheryl Broderson. Cheryl's message to the praise of His grace, Judah. Paul, in writing about God's dealings with Abraham in Romans 4.17 said this, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. You see, God knows what He's going to do in somebody, in a life, and He calls it. As even as he met Peter and he said, oh, your name is Simon, but you're going to be a rock. Now, I think everybody must have been like, he doesn't know Peter very well. This is like the most unstable guy we know. And God says, you're going to be a rock. You're going to be stability. Maybe you remember in Luke chapter 22, he says to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked for you by name that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. In other words, he's saying to Peter, yeah, you're going to be shaken, but you're going to come through this because I've prayed that your faith would not fail. And you're going to establish and you're going to strengthen others because you're going to become rock. No, 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 no. Okay. But God calls into existence. He calls it into. He creates, we're told, from bara. That's the Hebrew word from nothing. When God creates, he doesn't need ingredients. He just makes the ingredients. In fact, it's interesting. I, was, I heard this, this joke, and it was Richard Dawkins recently, which would be about 20 years ago, said that he thought the eye was a very, very simple creation. And if you want to believe that God created it, well then, your God is very simplistic just to create an eye. And somebody said, yes, I'd like to see you do it. And they said, but you have to come with your own ingredients. You know, I know we made airplanes. I know man has made great structures, but they've used the components that God created. Man cannot create out of nothing. He's given supplies to do it with, but God creates from nothing. You see, we're always trying to come up with something to give God to use. Here, God, use this, use that in me. And sometimes he says, I don't want any of those things that you're bringing to the table. I'm going to create out of nothing. 
And I'm going to speak this into your life. We have the God, according to Isaiah 61, who makes beauty from ashes. He makes light from darkness. He creates hope in despair. God calls things according to what he is going to do and not according to their natural condition. I love how when the angel comes to Gideon, now Gideon uh, was a, a young man in Israel. And at the time that he lived in Israel, Israel was oppressed by the Midianites. We we're told that there was a multitude of Midianites. And every time the Israelites were harvesting their crops, the Midianites would swoop in and they would steal everything, all the grain and leave Israel with absolutely nothing. And it was during this time that Gideon is hiding in a cave and he is, he's winnowing the wheat, which means he's throwing it up and letting the chaff flow away and the kernels fall to the ground. Now, usually in Israel, this was done on a mountaintop or on a plain where there was lots of wind, but he's hiding in a cave doing this. And all of a sudden this angel appears to him and says, oh, mighty man of valor. Gideon's like, I don't know who you're talking about, but it ain't me. Have you noticed? We're under oppression for the Midianites. I'm hiding. I'm in one of the least of the tribes of Israel, and we are oppressed. My father worships Baal, and you're calling me a mighty man of valor. Why? Because God knew what he was going to do in Gideon what he was going to do through Gideon. And he was calling Gideon according to his work in Gideon. When we come to Judah, this man that we've studied this week, his name means praise. This is, this is the name that he is given by his mother who was inspired by the Lord. And yet as we read about Judah, in the beginning Years, the formative years of his life, he seems like anything but praise. He would seem like more, a name that would be better would be maybe embarrassment. <laughs> like, oh, I used to, um, my oldest son was hyperactive. And he was always doing those things. Like, you know, he really had um, an attraction to windows and to breaking windows. Didn't matter if they were ours or the neighbors or at the church. He just had this propensity to break windows. And there were just times that you're like, Oh, you know, he was the child that always got away from me at the market. And they were like, would the mother of Charlo Broderson please come to the front of the store? And you know, when you're doing that, everyone's glaring at you like, you lost your child. What kind of mother are you? You know, and you're just like, no, why, why do you always do this? He goes, did you hear my name? <laughs> he loved to have his name announced on the loudspeaker. I wanted to get a t-shirt that said, please go easy on him. His mother's not finished yet or still in training. He's now a pastor. God calls it. Praise. Judah seemed like anything but praise. But God was determined to make Judah an object of praise. He was determined to exalt Judah's name in Israel. 
and put him in the lineage of kings. And through the seed of Judah, bring forth the Messiah. At the end of Judah's life, in Genesis 49, 8 through 12, we see that God has accomplished in Judah all that he said he would do. And yet God had even more for Judah. Not that Judah deserved it. And it wasn't according to Judah's righteousness, but according to what God had worked in Judah. So his father Jacob says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Judah is like a young lion. My son, you return from the kill. He crouches. He lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until Shiloh, he whose right it is. That's the meaning of Shiloh. He whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. He ties his donkey to the vine and the colt of his donkey to the choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. This is the second longest blessing that Jacob gave to any of his sons. The first and longest blessing went to Joseph, but the second longest blessing went to Judah. And if you look at this blessing, there is no rebuke. There is no correction. It's riddled with messianic references. Your brother's praise, Psalm 22, 22. The victor, the hands on the necks of the enemy. The father's sons bowing down. The lion, like the lion of the tribe of Judah. The scepter, which is the rule or ability to judge. The staff. Shiloh, or he whose right it is, a messianic name. The obedience of the people belongs to him. Then the word vine and choice vine reminds us of John chapter 15. Donkey and cult reminds us of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem in John chapter 12. Then the wine reminds us of that covenant that Jesus made with his disciples in Luke 22. And the blood that was poured out for us, which reminds us of 1 John chapter 1, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses a man from all sins. And yet this, this man, Judah, who became an object of the greatest praise as he was related to Jesus Christ, had such a poor start. Now, I think his birth must have been really great because he was named Praise. But he was born to Jacob's unloved wife. Jacob had two, lo- two wives, Leah and Rachel. Rachel was beautiful. Leah had the weak eyes. John Corson said something that I don't agree with, but I'm going to repeat it anyway. He said that it meant that weak eyes, that it hurt your eyes to look at her. I don't know about some of his interpretations, but I sure like listening to him. (laughs) Leah had so much expectation for her husband. 
Each time that she gave birth, she was sure that her husband would love her. She was doing her best to be accepted and loved by her husband. Her first son, she acknowledged as a gift from God. God sees Reuben. But she had this expectation, God sees. He's blessed me, so now my husband will love me because God loves me, because God saw my affliction, because God blessed me. The second one, Simeon, God heard me. God knew I was unloved and he heard, so he blessed me with a son. The third son, Levi, means attached. And her her expectation was now that God's blessed me, God loves me, that I've borne my husband three sons, now he'll be attached to me. Now he'll want to be with me. But it wasn't to be. But the fourth son, the fourth son, finally, She's, she's giving up that expectation on her husband. And now her expectation is completely on the Lord. And she names him praise. I think an interpretation for praise could be, it is well with my soul. Lord, I'm all right. It's all right with us. I think that Leah in so many ways is so much like us. We always tend to think that something that we say or do or accomplish will change a person or circumstances. You know, we get this thing like, oh, maybe they just don't know the truth. And maybe if I tell them the truth, then they'll go, oh, thank you, truth. This is what I wanted. And you tell them the truth and they're like, I'm sorry, I like my lie better than your truth. (laughs) And you're like, what? Or, you know, have you ever made up a speech in your mind? Yes, we have, Cheryl. I knew it. (laughs) Come on. We make up these speeches in our mind, don't we? And we've got it. And like, oh, I'm waxing so eloquent in here. I can't wait to give this to somebody. And so you go and you say this huge speech that you prepared. And they look at you and they go, did did you just say something? Like, let me do it again. And they're like, "I, I don't agree with that. What do you mean you don't agree? I, I thought this thing up. It took me a full 30 minutes. I had to change some of the words to bigger words. I looked up three syllable things for this one. But you know what I'm saying? We always think that's going to change. Or, or we think, oh, now that I've done this, they'll see that I'm you know, innocent. Or they'll see how much I love them. They'll see. And, and it doesn't change the situation. I, I was um, reading this, this book, and it, it was about this man who, who's trying to win over this little juvenile. And he's buying him gifts. He's forgiving him of everything. But it's not changing this child. Uh, and the man is getting so frustrated because he wants this child to change. He wants him to see the love of God. And with every gift, he has this expectation. Now he'll know. And that's so much like us. Now, maybe because of, again, what I've said or what I've done or I I did this accomplishment. I think of those children who, who try so hard to please their children. We had a woman in our church in London. And I was teaching her children and she had four children. And they were in the Sunday school and they, whenever I had a craft, these children, they'd never been in Sunday school before. 
and I was their first Sunday school teacher. They did get in a fist fight with each other one time, and they did steal Jesus from the flannel graph. But other than that, as I was teaching them, they were um, they they just had never heard about Jesus. And I had crafts every week, and they would be so when it came to craft time, I had them completely in the palm of my hand. They loved the crafts, and they would work so diligently on that. And they couldn't wait to present them to their mother. And I remember she came, and they were like, "Mom, look what I've done! Look what I've done!" And she's like, "I do not have time for this." I'm not interested in this. Please, you're bothering me. You're bothering me. I can't take this right now. And I just, my heart broke for those children. And you could just see their disappointment. There is a happy side to this story, but it doesn't pertain to what I'm going to share today. But I'm going to tell you the happy side anyway, okay? Um, this one day she asked to, to speak with me. And I have to say, I had a little bit of like, mm-mm-mm towards her because of how she reacted every time her children would do these crafts. It was just like, I don't have time. And she'd always dress just eloquent, uh, elegantly. I mean, she just was, looked like a million dollars. And she said to me, she's like, Cheryl, can I speak to you? And can I tell you my story? And I said, you know, yeah. And we sat down and she told me, I was one of the richest women in Nigeria I was married to one of the richest men. And she said, I never ever changed a diaper. I would have the babies and they'd be taken and raised by maids. And they would just be presented to me at meals. And I would kiss them. And then they would be taken away from me again. And she said, my whole life was all about shopping and just self-indulgences, whatever I wanted. And she said, one day I was out at shopping. And she said, my two oldest children were in school and these thugs came to my house and they held it up and they held my husband at gunpoint and pointing guns at my little children and they said you either tell us where the money is or we'll shoot your children and my husband refused to tell them where the money was and they shot my children and they did the children had like a little scar here and and the one little boy had this scar running down like this and she said, so when I came home and I found them shot, my husband sent me to England because they wanted to remove my son's eye and says, no, we need the doctors in England. So he sent me up here with the four children. I got an apartment. I, I got the medical treatment for my children. She said, but I'd never taken care of my own children before. And she said, he was sending me money. And then he sent me a letter and divorce papers. And she said, Cheryl, I don't have any money anymore. And I don't know how to raise my children. Will you show me how to be a mother? Now, you know. <laughs> I said, sure. I said, when they show you what they've done in Sunday school, <laughs> tell them that it's the greatest thing you've ever seen and display it in your house. That's step number one. Because, you know, these children needed to be told so desperately that they were loved. And they were doing everything to get their mom to notice them. I'm happy to say that she did. She so changed. But God called it. God called it. And the Lord convicted her. But there are, there are those of us, like Leah, that need to get our expectations on God alone. We expect people to change. And you know what? Most people don't want to change. Have you noticed that? They're very set in their ways and they don't want to change.
And nothing we do is going to affect the situation. Only God. Only God. So Leah, finally, her expectation goes off of her husband, off of herself and what she can do, and it becomes on God alone. But again, as we're looking at Judah, he's the fourth son of this unloved woman, but he's one of 11 boys. You know, when you've got more than three boys, you don't notice boys. You just see a forest moving, tumbling, fighting, dust. He's one of 11 boys, and there's stepsons and half-sons and half-brothers, and, and it's just a tribe of boys. And yet, this one, the 11th brother, the first to be born of Rachel, is so beloved. Now, if you're a little boy, you're fourth, you're, you're by an unloved mother, and you've got these half-brothers, and you're not really noticed, and you've got this brother who your father just dotes on. He absolutely loves. He, he gives him a special coat that's different than everybody else's. And, and to make matters worse, this brother has this, this very righteous integrity and you're the bad little boy that always gets things wrong. And he's perfect and he even has dreams from God. And in his dreams, you know, he's, a, he's this stalk of wheat and all the other stalks bow down. He, he's, a, he's a sun and all the other planets, I mean, he's a star in the sky and all the other planets bow down. That's going to be so hard. Hard to see all the love, all the affection, all the respect go to that child. And we're told that Judah began to envy his half-brother Joseph. Now envy means to covet or desire what belongs to another. It has to do with devaluating someone to the point of feeling more entitled to their blessing, their perks, their position, their possessions, or their prosperity than they are. You believe they should be removed and you should be in their place. In Proverbs, Solomon says, hatred is cruel, but who can stand before envy? Envy is crueler than even hatred when you want what someone else has or what belongs to someone else. Judah's envy reached murderous proportions. While he was out in the fields watching his father's flocks, He and the other brothers saw Joseph, probably they saw the coat of many colors approaching, and they began to conspire together to kill Joseph. Judah, at this point, is totally heartless. He's not thinking of what Joseph's death would do to his father. In fact, when they take Joseph, They strip him of his coat and they throw him in a pit. And we're told in Genesis 42, 21, that they could hear the anguish of Joseph's soul. Joseph is in that pit saying, please let me out. Don't do this to me. I'm your brother, please. And in our text, we're told that callously Judah and the other brothers ate 
they ate while their brother was stripped and lying in a pit begging for mercy. Well, the thought was to kill Joseph, but then they saw some Ishmaelites that were on their way to Egypt. So they decided that they might as well make money off of Joseph. So they sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites. And Joseph went to Egypt as a slave. They devalued Joseph's life. He meant nothing to them because their own value and their own needs meant so much more to themselves, their own self-worth. God knows what He's going to do in and through us according to His work. If we form our expectations on what we can accomplish or what we say, we will only become discouraged at the outcome. We need to get our expectations on God and God alone. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is To the Praise of His Grace, Judah. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we will continue to study the life of Judah as we forge on in our series with Cheryl Broderson through the lineage of the King. We do hope you make plans to join us. program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.